Welcome. This is Cascade Church Portland's podcast. We exist to invite all people to join us as we follow Jesus together in bringing heaven to earth. Um, it's really good to be with you all. Good morning. Um, yeah, I think the last time I preached here was nearly three years ago. So happy third anniversary. And I'm, I'm glad to see that this church is here and has become what it has become. Um, I think this series where you're hearing the same scripture four times is both awesome and completely outrageous. Um, and I think only Kurt would come up with an idea like this, but I'm really glad it's happening because I think it says something about the nature of scripture, which is that we can learn from it endlessly. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience, but even when I read or encounter parts of the Bible at different ages, I see totally different things. And so I really like that this is happening. Um, if you hear me just repeat everything you've been hearing the last few weeks, then you know just keep nodding like it's the first time. So I'm a really simple Bible reader. Um, I do really love like learning about the historical context and learning about the languages and, and all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like I'm just a very simple Bible reader. When I look at scripture, I'm always trying to wonder, what does this say about who God is? What does this say about me and humanity and people? And then how am I supposed to live in light of these two revelations? And so that's like a very simple framework that was I looked at my perspective of this passage what I wanted to, to talk through. So let's dig in. I'm just going to reread um, for you from chapter 28, starting with verse 10. We'll just kind of look at this in a couple different chunks. So by, as a way of background, in case you haven't heard it yet, um, Jacob is on the road. He's on the run because his brother wants to kill him. Um, his brother Esau wants to kill him because he has been betrayed by Jacob like very deeply on multiple occasions now. And Jacob's mom gives him the idea, you need to get out of town. You need to go to where my brother Laban lives, and that's where you can find refuge. And so Jacob is on the move right now. He's totally alone. Um, he's, uh, you'll read here, he's just in a nameless place. We find out the name later. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, where he reached a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Um, I'm just going to pause there and say that I think the thing that struck me, because I hadn't really read this story in a while, uh, the thing that really struck me about just the chapters leading up to this and this part of the story and then what happens after it is it's just, it's actually very realistic. These are miserable people. Uh, Jacob is a hero, father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and a total scoundrel. And he has deceived his brother. He's betrayed his brother. He's deceived his dad. He's betrayed his dad. He's probably not feeling very good right now. Um, he's definitely afraid. I don't know if he's feeling guilty for what he's done, but he's definitely afraid for his life at the very least. And, and as I was reading this, I was just reminded that like 
all of the heroes of the Bible are, are, are scoundrels. Um, I also like using the word scoundrels, um, and I'm glad you've gotten to hear it twice, now three times. Um, but it's true, and, I, and it's one of the things, this is a little side note, that makes me believe in the divinely inspired scriptures as divinely inspired, is that if I were writing the stories of my family, and if I were creating a mythology to explain the world, and especially to explain the world in a way that allowed me to maintain mud, I would, I would not make my heroes so, so flawed. I would tell the stories of these people as if they were larger than life. And to me, it's just so realistic. Like this is just a family where people don't trust each other, where people hurt each other, where they do love each other, but there's a lot of, of, of betrayal. There's a lot of pain there. And so there's something very, very realistic about this. I'm going to keep reading. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This font is so small. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east to the north and to the south. Watch over you wherever you go, through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so when I, when I look at this passage, I see kind of this first section is really what God is up to. And... I found that in this first section, I felt like I was learning the most. I was definitely learning about the nature of God, but I was really learning about Jacob. Um, and we're going to talk about that. And then the next section is Jacob's response to God and what Jacob does in response to experiencing this dream. And that section, I feel like I'm learning the most about God. Um, and so that's kind of how we're going to walk through this. Um, Picking up on that thought about how realistic this is and how this, these people are realistic in the sense that they're deeply flawed, there is a cliche that God worked. Somebody pointed out to me that King David, and I remember the first time I heard that I was a child and somebody pointed out to me that King David was adulterous and murderous and had done all these things, yet he was still a man after God's own heart. And as a kid... I was deeply comforted by that because I thought I was totally depraved um, as an eight-year-old and was so comforted to know that there was still hope for me because God even used David. Um, but I think that when we pause there with that cliche, there's actually a lot more to it. There's a lot more, less so that what it says about us, but a lot of what it says about God. Um, but the truth is, that phrase is redundant. To say God works through flawed people is literally the same thing as just saying God works through people. This is the nature of what it means to be human. This is part of what it means to be alive, to live this life. So God works through flawed people is literally the same thing as God works through people. And so I think... What I saw when I saw God 
giving this promise, showing up physically in this space with Jacob, despite Jacob's flaws, um, what I saw there was essentially this reminder that I need to not focus on Jacob's actions and try to understand why God would still be with him, but instead realize this is actually the only way for God to be with him, is with him in his flaws. And I think for us today, this is kind of an important thing to think through because right now, we're just in this season where church leaders, Christian leaders, ministry leaders are being exposed for their flaws. Um, People left and right are falling from their leadership, and I will say rightly so. Um, We should not take this idea that God works through people, and by nature all people are deeply flawed, and say that gives leaders permission to then maintain their leadership because everyone's going to be flawed. No, I'm not. Don't hear me say that at all. Uh, People who are involved in abuse or covering up abuse or whatever it might be should absolutely be removed from their positions. Um, But I think that we have a tendency when we look at these situations, just like Jacob did when he looked at his own situation, to only see our own actions. And through that lens, we start to believe that God is contained by us. That God and what God is doing is contained by our actions. So we hear about a church leader who did something awful, and we want to dismiss 30 years of everything that ever happened at that church. And it's tempting to do that. Um, But what this promise that Jacob gets in the midst of who he is reminds me that, like, I need, like, God is not contained by the actions of that leader. God is still going to be there and still going to be present. And it's not going to all be perfect, but it's also not all flawed. And so I think it's important for us to just realize that when we see what's happening in our world right now, we don't take it as this like cheap grace and freedom to be extremely flawed, and we don't use it as a way to give permission to the people that we look up to who have failed us, but that we recognize that God is still working even through people who have failed us, that God is still working even through, God is still present even in these very, very awful situations. And that says something about God. It also takes some of the perspective off of us to realize, you know, Jacob, what's implied here later when he says, I didn't, God was in this place, I didn't know it, is that he did not think God was with him. And I think it is very hard to see God when we're so focused on our own failures or on the failures of others. Um, When we are consumed with, whether you want to talk about it as failures or just broadly talk about it as evil or darkness, whatever it is, I think when we are consumed with looking at that, it's very hard to see God. We can still have an idea of God, but I don't think we actually see him. So I want to talk about uh, what happens next. So we're going to keep reading. This is at verse 16. So Jacob had this dream where he receives this promise. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head 
and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So the first thing that I saw when I read this was that, and this may sound very obvious to you, but I think it is something we're very detached from, is that Jacob is talking about God like he's actually alive. Jacob is talking about God in the present tense. Jacob is talking about God as if he was a human who walked upon the ground underneath him and left footprints. He's talking about God like God is not an idea. God is very, very alive. He says he is in this place, and I did not realize it. I recently was trying to explain to my kids, they're four and six, and a lot of times we pray in the car. Um, I was trying to explain to them, because I started to realize as, as I was hearing some of their prayers, that they thought this was like a ritual or incantation that they have to recite correctly. You know, like you have to say the right words for God to be present, and if you kind of foul up the words then it wasn't, it wasn't succeeding. Um, you were just kind of better luck next time, you know? And so I was explaining to them, like, no, God is alive. Like, he's here right now. He's in this car. He's listening to, you. He's listening to us talk about him. <laughs> and my son, Nash, who's four, was at the time holding a book, a kid's book, uh, Ninjago, if any of you are familiar. Um, and... He slowly opens his book, and he starts reading to God. And he starts being like, okay, God, this is Zane. He's a robot ninja. But, okay, God, so then this, and he's like, his friends know he's a robot. He's actually a boy. And, okay, God, so then this, and he's like reading in his car seat to God. And at first, I thought it was cute then I was like, this is irreverent. The Lord of hosts is in the car. Do not read Ninjago to him. Um, but then I paused and I was like, this is actually utterly beautiful. To, he wasn't being funny. He, wasn't, he didn't think I was listening. He was whispering. He was literally talking to God. The same God who spoke words to Moses, the same God who came to Jacob in a dream. My four-year-old son can talk to that God. How often when we pray are we praying to the idea of God, not talking to God like he is alive and with us? I'm emotional because it's unreal it is overwhelming to think that the God who created the universe, the God who raised people from the dead, is literally in this room listening to us talk about him. I think the place that reminds me how detached we are from how alive God is, is Twitter. And when I'm on Twitter, I realize all these people, I feel like are talking about the idea of God and competing ideas about God. No one here is talking about God like he is alive and watching these feeds. One of the reasons why I think we have started to think of God as an idea rather than alive is because we've become so detached from physical spaces. And I'm going to explain that more. But Jacob does not say, surely God was with me in this season where I was having a hard time, 
where I'm being betrayed and my brother is looking to kill me and I'm on the run. Surely God was with me in this time of life. He says, God is in this place. He's talking about geography. He's talking about land and dirt and earth. And similarly, God's promise to him, and we'll say more about this in a second, is not just about spiritual things. It is about land, and it's about a place, and it is about the physical. I think that for us, we have this really, you know, for Jacob, it was natural uh, in that time to look at the land and to see God's presence and to see God there. For us in our modern world, like we have this major challenge where we are so detached from the land. So much of our lives are digital. Um, we are so detached from the physical that I think when we have that deep detachment, it becomes much easier for God to be an idea rather than to be alive. And so Jacob commemorates the physical presence of God in a physical space by building his little pillar um, and building this, this memory. And I think that's a practice that I've tried to, to have in my own life is when I'm somewhere remarkable, when I have an amazing conversation with someone, when I feel like I experience God's presence, I pick up a stone or a driftwood or a pine cone or something to try and mark like God was with me in that place. I don't actually recommend this to you, though, because my house is just overrun with pine cones and rocks and shells, and, and it's, all, it's really beautiful, but at this point, I've been doing this since I was about 14. There's just thousands of, I call them artifacts, um, and every year I box up the artifacts and they go in storage. And then that year's artifacts fill my home. And I think it, it is, though, important, though, whether it's in a journal or in some other way, to, to mark when God is physically with us, when we feel and notice it. Because the truth is, he is with us always. We just don't always see it. And so, actually, I loved being back in this building because the last time I preached here, not the last time I was here, but the last time I preached here, uh, someone from this church prayed over me, and they prayed words over me that transformed my life. Um, when I look at my life and I think about certain markers, certain times when significant things happen where God, I realized God was with me, that Sunday here was one of those times. And that person doesn't even know that that happened. I, I should tell them about it. Um, but it's, it's marked in my journal. It's marked in the bulletin from that Sunday that I saved to try and remember this. Because we have to remember these things because the, th the truth is we will ourselves doubt the experience. Jacob himself will doubt that God was with him in that place. Um, we would give, a, give ourselves enough time and we'll absolutely doubt that we truly experience the living God. And, and so I think it's important to mark those, those moments. The other thing I wanted to, to that I came out of this, uh, just being struck by, and, and Kurt explained what I do for work. In my line of work, where our mission statement is to advocate, mobilize Christians in advocacy to end extreme poverty and injustice, and I've been doing this about 14 years, um, something I have heard over and over from people, and it's from certain types of people, is 
Oh, that's amazing. The ministry of compassion is, is definitely good. It's a good command that we have to follow. But we do have to save people's souls. Otherwise, we're just sending them to hell with a full belly. Um, I hear your groans. <laughs> and maybe, you know, there's, that's actually not an outrageous comment. I've actually heard that many, 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 many times. That's not a fringe idea. That's very mainstream. That anything we can do for people now is just, you know, kind of hollow uh, if it doesn't actually get them to glory. And as I was reading this and reading God's promise and then reading how Jacob responds to it, I was like, imagine someone with that perspective critiquing God's promise to Jacob and just being like, you know, it's awesome you want to give him land. Uh, It's amazing you want to give him and his descendants a place to flourish. Like that is really kind and generous of you. But honestly, God, like if you don't save their souls then this is all just kind of an exercise in futility. Like, it's all wasted. And I read that, and I would just realize, like, our concepts, our brains, the way that we process the physical and the spiritual is just so limited. Um, God clearly does not operate in a physical world, in a spiritual world. In this dream, because of this dream, and in the stories over and over in Scripture, the incarnation itself, when God becomes human, is just showing us that you cannot talk about heaven without talking about earth. You cannot talk about earth without talking about heaven. You cannot talk about God without talking about the flawed people that he operates with and lives inside of and moves in this world with. And we can't talk about people without talking about God. Because like I said earlier, part of being people, part of being human is that we are flawed, but part of being human is that the image of God is in us in every one of us. And so this story of Jacob, and I think the whole story of scripture in the Christian story, is this mixing of the physical and the spiritual in ways that we just don't even have language to describe. But God's promise for land and for flourishing in Jacob's response of God was with me in this physical space shows us that these places matter. And so I don't know if that means we need to be more connected to the land around us, if we need to be more connected to actually building the spaces we live in. Like, you can take this where you want to take it. Um, I'm not telling you that we should all be farmers, but I will say that if we were all farmers, God, it would be much less tempting for God to become an idea. When we had to fully rely on God for sustenance, for rain, for like good earth for all of these things, God is much less an idea and much more in a living being that we see all around us. What I think I see in all of that is not just that God values the physical. It's that his redemption is much greater than what many of us can imagine that his redemption is much greater than just our souls. (laughs) His redemption, his promise for us is much greater than what we even have language for or understanding for. I'm going to read to you from Revelations 21. I really love this passage, and it reminds me a lot of this Jacob story. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
And it wasn't that I saw a new heaven and the earth died. It was a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe, this is the part, this is the redemption. So Jacob's promise for land, for God to be with him, all all of that. This is the big fulfillment of that. That was for that individual and his descendants. This is the promise for all humanity over all time, beyond time and place. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And God's redemption is greater than anything we can imagine because God's love is greater than anything we can imagine. It's utterly unconditional in that God is with us even when we don't believe in him. That a living God is walking with us even when we are hostile to him. And so my simple questions for us today is, what does it mean for us to live, to pray, to walk through this world as if God is really alive and not just an idea? To recognize the way my four-year-old son did, that God is literally in this place. He, he's with us when we took communion. He is in this room with us. How does that change how we live, how we pray, how we think about him? And how do we live in light of the fact that clearly the physical and the spiritual divides that we've made for generations are just utterly false? What does it mean for us to realize that God's redemption is for all things, to renew all things, not let everything burn and save just our souls, but to renew absolutely all things. How do we live with, our, with the land in light of that? Conservation is a godly, godly action. Every time we do something to preserve the creation around us, it is a radical kingdom action. It's not just some weird investment in the here and now that's going to burn. Um, it is part of God working in this world when we do those things to care for the land around us, to recognize the physical space around us. And the truth is, this is the final thing I'm going to say before we pray. I would not be a a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ if I got up here on this particular Sunday morning and did not talk about the 2,000 children who have been pulled away from their families at the border. And Kurt, I want to give him a pass here. He did not ask me to talk about this. I didn't tell him I was going to. I mean, he should have known better when he asked me. But if I saw this story of Jake, this topic, you know, don't blame Kurt. But I saw this story of Jacob, who's literally fleeing violence on his way to what he hopes is refuge, but he has no idea what's really there for him at his uncle's place. And all I could think about was all the families fleeing violence in Central America coming here 
having no idea if this will be refuge or not, but they are in such desperation that they're just going for it anyway. And the reason why I said I wouldn't be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ if I stood up here and did not bring this up is because Jesus literally told us that what we have done to the least of these in this world, we've done to him. And he did not say it as inspiration. You know, people use that verse all the time as an inspiration. Like Jesus was trying to inspire us. Like when you see the poor, when you see the weak, when you see the sick, imagine if Jesus literally says, love me will inspire you to treat them like it's me. Jesus literally says, I am in them. I am alive. I dwell in your world, in these people. And what you have done to them, you have done to me. Now, on the flip side, I'll also say that people who love to quote Matthew 25 do not quote the part where Jesus talks about hell. And I believe in both parts fiercely. <laughs> and so this is not, it's not a light thing that what we have done to the least of these in our world, we've done to Jesus. It's actually a, a huge thing. And the reason why it matters for us in church is because we live in a nation where our leaders make decisions that represent us. It's a democracy. We can't wash our hands of it. And so if we take these words seriously, I believe we need to do everything we can to let it be known that it doesn't matter. The president, none of that actually, and it doesn't matter where we stand on political party, where we stand on the president, none of that actually matters. What matters is that we cannot let 2,000 children be taken from their families, be held in tents in the desert in every other manner of situation without saying, as people who follow Jesus, we need to interrupt this. This is unjust. This is wrong. And so I would, if, you, if that makes you uncomfortable, if you're upset by that, I would encourage you to just think about it, to just pray about it. Um, I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do to interrupt that, but I will tell you we all have some responsibility because of the way our nation is governed. And I cannot help but think of Jacob's story and the fact that all of these families who are going through this right now, you better believe they're crying out to God. God was with Jacob, and Jacob wasn't even crying out to him. <laughs> But you better believe every one of those parents is crying out to the Lord in desperation, wondering where their children are. And so I think the challenge for us as God's people is to let the truth about him be known, particularly because people are out there telling lies about him. And so that's kind of a heavy note to end on, but it's real. It's real life. It's messy. It's the nature of humanity. And the other half of the nature of humanity is that God is dwelling in us and alive in us. And so when there is darkness, there can also be light. And so um, Micah Challenge is going to have some information up this week to help people contact their leaders if they want to through phone calls. But there's a lot of good organizations doing things. Uh, World Relief is one that I've signed a letter through and taken action with. But I encourage you to look into that, or at least pray. And not pray to the idea of God, but pray to the living God who is with those children who are scared, who are in the desert, who are in a tent or wherever it is they might be, or in a foster home, or who knows where they are. 
who are not with their families. The living God that you're praying to is with those kids and allow him to speak back to you. That's what I would challenge you with today. Um, So let's pray right now. God, we just thank you for your love. It is so deep. You have shown us your love simply by allowing us to wake up today. We have felt your love in just being able to breathe oxygen and walk on this land to get here safely. Lord, your love is all around us. I pray that we have this revelation that Jacob had where we recognize that you are with us. God, I pray that you help us. We even need you to see you. I pray that you help us recognize your presence in this church, in our homes, with our families. And God, I thank you for this place. I thank you for the people who are part of this church, for the leaders here. And I pray, God, for all of us as we consider how we can be light in the darkness that we see in our nation right now. Help us know how to do that as your followers, bringing forth your kingdom, speaking only the truth about you, never manipulating people in your name. And God, I pray that um, you will be with those who this Father's Day are not with their children because of unjust policies. I pray you will be present to them and bring comfort to them. I pray you will give us a deep empathy that can only come from you. That when we hear news stories of tragedy, we don't dismiss or walk away or begin debates about the, our ideas about you, but that we feel deeply what you must feel. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for talking about it. Because we live in a world, as Jason's message talked about so much, we like to take things that are meant to be integrated together and to separate them. And we want to have our church without our politics. We want to have our spirit without our bodies. We want to have our land and produce without having to integrate and put it all together. Debate policy. Let's just debate, simply inviting us to put it all back together. We can debate policy. Let's just debate policy when kids can be with their parents. So would you stand? May we go as integrated beings where we put ourselves out of the business of talking about the ideas of God and instead talk and encounter the living God. And may that actually change our lives and our behavior and the places we go. And may we walk from a place where we know that God is into a place that we know that God is. And may it change everything. Amen and amen.